you please open up your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. John Stott, he said that, um, I love this quote, he said, There is a kind of life that leads to death, and there is a kind of death that leads to life. I believe wholly that we have security in the life of Christ. So does that mean that you can do whatever you want and sin without regret? No, it does not. Grace does not excuse us to keep on sinning. But I do believe in the doctrine of once saved, always saved. I believe it is true based off the scriptures. My question then is if you have ever truly been saved, which is why Hebrews warns. So when we are tempted, we must conquer sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are to persevere and to seek after Christ. We are to desire to obey and to follow Him. What marks a Christian is daily repentance. Daily repentance. The grace of God should amaze you. The grace of God should transform you. It's not about your giftedness. It's about your godliness. So have you ever bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you born again? Will you pray with me? I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would convict us of all sin. That you would convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Remind those in here this morning who have believed, who have been born again, Remind them of the gospel. Remind them of the hope that we have. And for those in here this morning that do not believe, that are not born again, Holy Spirit, I ask right now, I ask that you would pierce their hearts. Help their unbelief, Lord. Help our unbelief with our doubts. I pray that you would bring to them repentance because Jesus, you are the only way the only truth, and the life. We are made right with you, Lord, and cleansed of our sins only due to your gift of grace and Christ's sacrifice on the cross. We praise you, Jesus, that because of you we are forgiven, because of you we are hopeful, and the grave is empty. You conquered death. We pray this, and we rejoice, and we we also, Lord, there's a lot of suffering going on in the world, and, and we pray for Israel right now. Lord, uh, we, we know that off your, off your word in Romans 11, that you are not through with them. They are still your chosen, beloved people. And we just lift them up to you, Father. We lift them up to you. We ask that you would protect them, that you would save them, and that your will would continue to be done in this world, that we, and that we could trust that you are on the throne, and no man or no thing or no event can stop your plan. In Jesus' name, amen. So John Mason Brown was a, a drama critic and a speaker well known for his witty and informative lectures on theatrical topics. One of his first important appearances as a lecturer was at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Brown was pleased, but he was also nervous. And his nerves were, were not helped when he noticed while he was speaking, he noticed um, that someone in the crowd was, was copying his every gesture. After every single thing he did, it was mimicked. And uh, after a time, he, he broke off from his lecture and he announced with great dignity, you know, if, if anyone in here was not enjoying the lecture, you're free to leave. Yet nobody left. Nobody left. Yet the mimicking continued. And it was another 10 minutes before Brown realized that the mimic was in fact his own shadow. So was, was Brown's shadow real? Of course it was. Does a shadow have the power to control a person's actions? Of course not. The shadow only mimics us. But in Brown's case, his shadow did take control momentarily. Why? Because he allowed himself to be distracted by the shadow and addicted, if you will, by it that he completely forgot his shadow made him completely forget what he was supposed to be about. 
That's a pretty good description of the sin nature that we all carry within us as redeemed people. It can cause the sin nature can cause havoc, even though it has been made powerless by our identification with Christ. We can get really caught on the outward things as believers. First um, Samuel sixteen seven, but the Lord said to Samuel, "Do not look on his appearance, or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him." For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. John 7, 24, Jesus said, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. As fallen sinners, and it's unfortunately true, we love to analyze ourselves. We love to analyze each other. I think we love to analyze each other more. And according to the flesh, we love to judge And this can lead to legalism dangers. This can lead to hypocrisy. This can lead to unrealistic expectations and discord and condemnation. Now, am I saying that we're not supposed to judge? No, we are to be discerning. And we are to discern what is true and what is not. And we are also to be discerning with the way that we live our lives. Just for example, if you saw a truck flying down the road, you better use judgment and not stand out in front of the truck, okay? So pride, the problem of pride, it comes before fall. We live to either gratify ourselves and fulfill the desires of the flesh, or we look at others and we think, man, I am so glad that I am not as bad as a sinner as Billy Bob or Sue over there. I'm so glad that I'm not as bad as he or she is. People will see a guy on the news that murdered somebody and say, oh man, that is a sinner. That's not me. I'm a good person. Look at cancel culture, for example. Someone says something that was probably wrong. They left a digital footprint nine to ten years ago, and the keyboard warriors are ready to tear them apart while they sit atop of their throne of self-righteousness playing the role of God handing out punishment for sin. The children of wrath who are dead in their sins, might I add, the children of wrath claim, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard this, I'm going to get to heaven because I'm a good person. I am a good person, so I'm going, to make the, I'm going to make it to heaven. I'm a good person who just makes mistakes. I'm a good person. If you put the scales out there, it would lean a little bit more good than it would bad, so I'm going to make it in. I'm a good person. And they brag about themselves and snap their arm while patting themselves on the back. Compared to the child of God, who was once indeed dead, who was once indeed a child of wrath, But the child of God cries out to God for forgiveness and mercy because he or she has been convicted of their sin and they realize their need of a savior. And praise be to God that he provided the savior in our Lord Jesus Christ. We need grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. I can keep going. Are we led by the flesh or are we led by the Holy Spirit? I want to share with you 10 flesh factors that we can tend to hyper-focus on, as stated by Pastor Colin Smith. Number one, appearance, height, weight, clothing, etc. Have you been there? You know, I've talked with many people in the town that I grew up in. Um, Our town was unfortunately, there was a lot of drug addiction. There were people that had a lot of pain and the vicious cycle of abuse would repeat in their families. And then they'd go do the very same thing that their parents were doing, even though they knew that it was wrong. But it was the only thing that they knew what to do when bad things happened. So it just kept repeating the drug cycle. And eventually we would try to have conversations uh, uh, with with people in town. And I'll never forget one where, you know, this this lady, unfortunately, she was under the influence, but she, she was so afraid to go to church because they didn't have nice clothes. They didn't have, you know, all the clothes. So they were afraid they were going to get judged. 
And I think that we can do a, a great job of condemning people and staring at them when they walk in because they may not have their life all together. We can do a great job of polishing ourselves as a whitewashed tomb with masks and we act like we got it all together when we really don't. I one time preached a sermon and I received a connect card, which are kind of like in the chairs that you have right now, those connect cards, which can quickly turn into criticism cards, actually, hoping that someone, when they, when they handed it to me, I'm like, oh, great. Oh, I hope that they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe they, they have questions on where to start in Scripture. Maybe they want to repent. Maybe they have a question about going and sharing the gospel with somebody. Maybe they wanted prayer on something. Get to my office. I'm all excited. I open it up. And the note said, you know, pastor, you don't dress nice enough to be a pastor were the words I read. You should cut your hair, you know. And these man-made standards and traditions, they plague many churches. You got to look a certain way. You got to talk a certain way. I hope that's not true here. And I'm not saying either that we excuse sin, but to condemn people based off their appearance is so shallow. So number one, appearance. Number two, number two, ability. You know, we see if people are gifted in their abilities, whether sports, arts, smarts, etc. And we acknowledge and we can admire what people are naturally good at. Praise be to God. Number three, age. Age. This is usually ignored. First Timothy 4.12, not letting people look down on your youthfulness. It reminds me of when the disciples, they wanted to get rid of the children for bothering Jesus. And then Jesus rebuked them. The other side, too, is... Compared to uh, uh, with the youth, we see the other side of it where the churches, many big churches, they just want the young, clean, fresh looking hipster right out of college that can be a great face for the church business. They make it into a business or a corporation compared to simply whoever it is, no matter their age, if they're preaching faithfully and truthfully and gracefully the word of God. Number four. That we look at friends, bad company corrupts good character. Now, this does not mean that we do not have friends that are unbelievers. Matter of fact, if you do not have a friend that is an unbeliever, I challenge you to make some friends that are not believers. Why? You can witness to him or her. Okay, you need to have a mission field. But you also need fellowship. You need Christian brothers and sisters in Christ to have fellowship with. Why? Iron sharpens iron, and you build each other up in the faith. We look at the mission field. We look at the war going on in the world. And then when we come back and we gather, even like we're gathered right now, this is to be a command post, if you will, or we can, an armory, or we can build each other up and equip each other and encourage each other. So therefore, we can be better soldiers for the kingdom to go back and be equipped to sharing the gospel in a world that is perishing. So we talked about friends. Number five, race. We look at race, Jew, Gentile, skin color is yet another way we can hyper focus on the outward appearance. Number six, gender. There are only two, okay? And they are assigned by God at birth. Men and women are both designed uniquely for different roles that God has designed that bring him glory. And it reminds us of the beauty of the gospel. How? Marriage is a beautiful picture of the gospel. And praise be to God that our groom is going to come back for us. And also that the church, we are his bride. He is the groom. And we await daily with eager expectation and hope each day you are closer to salvation. Rejoice in that. Number seven that we look at, work. Work. So many people identify with what they do for a living. This is dangerous, especially for vocational pastors. Your relationship with God becomes, you become what you do. You become what you do. Instead of who you are in Christ. Okay? And people, it's the same thing. We identify as a fireman or policeman, whatever your occupation is. You identify first as that compared to sharing your faith. And I will say that, you know, I'm, and I'm thankful to be a pastor and, and to dig into the truth with you and, and to preach. 
shepherd, but it can be very difficult in social settings. Why? I can have a great conversation with somebody, you know, we're chatting it up, talking about life or sports or, you know, maybe movies, stuff like that, or, you know, talking about their family. Um, barbershop, for example. You have this great conversation going, and uh, then when they ask, so what do you do? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I'm a pastor. And immediately when you say a pastor or I proclaim the gospel, etc., they straighten up. You know, they make sure their posture's better. And then uh, they may have had some foul language when we were talking before, you know, dropping some curse words. And then all of a sudden they, they say something. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I messed up again. I'm sorry. And they act really uncomfortable. And then they confess, you know, I'm not perfect. I am a complete sinner. And all this stuff. Wait, I mean, some of them don't do that either. But they'll say, I'm not perfect. And then I respond, well, neither am I. And then this can lead to great opportunities, thankfully, to, to talk about the gospel. Um, and unfortunately, too, there have been other times where I'm talking with somebody and then they figure out what you believe. And then they either just become really quiet or they mock or they poke fun that you believe in a fairy tale, etc. But then again, back to our topic of work. Work is designed by God for our good. And unfortunately, due to the fall, you work by the sweat of your brow, and it's been affected by the fall. Um, And I think, too, that we can become way too wrapped up with identifying with what we do compared to who we are. Number eight, so we looked at work. Number eight, now we're going to talk about home. This includes lifestyles, hobbies, maybe things you enjoy. Number nine, family. Uh, This one's weird, okay? Family can become such an idol. It becomes about your heritage. Not that these things are bad, but it can become an idol. Your family lineage becomes more of an idol and it gets put on the altar that you care more about your family tree and your family origin, etc., compared to the family that you truly are in. So we care more about our family legacy. Number 10, experience. Not only is our flesh affected by our genes, but also our environment. So with these outward things listed above, how much do you keep tabs on yourself or on others? How much do you hyper-focus on those 10 things? And being so quick to take the place of judge compared to reminding yourself of who you are in Christ and how he sees you. Rest assured... If you were born again, if you have trusted in the gospel, you can rest. You can rest. When we abide in him, we are better reminded of the truth, which keeps us humble and encourages us to share the good news with those who are perishing. So how do you view people? Last week, I love how Todd described how he sees all people and that they have eternal value. Sometimes I'll be in the car with McKinsey and we'll see people just driving by. Just so, I mean, if you go into like Los Angeles, for example, it's like a sea or ocean of people just swimming through life. And, and we think, do, do you think, I wonder if that person is saved or not. So now, does your knowledge of Scripture Does your knowledge of Scripture, your theology, strengthen your love for Christ and desire to share the gospel with others? Or does it puff you up? Does it make you arrogant? Does it make you condemn others and act like you are some super Christian and put them down and condemn? So what is your motive for what you do in life? If your motive for what you do in life is anything other than to glorify God, enjoy Him forever, and to live for Him, then hear me now. Examine yourself. Examine your priorities. Take inventory. So now we're going to look at our passage uh, in Romans 8.12. And the last time that we were in this, 
um, I had the privilege to share with you. We were in uh, Romans 8, 1 through 11. And we praise God that for every Romans 6 and 7, there is a Romans 8. Those in Christ are no longer under the law of sin and death, but under the law of the spirit of life. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are set free from the bondage of sin and death. Death has lost its sting in victory. Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly and was slain. Therefore, we can walk free, forgiven, and filled with eternal hope because our Savior lives and has saved us from what we deserve. And he will give us way more than we ever deserved or could earn. So let's look at our passage, Romans 8, verse 12, if you'll follow along. We're going to look at the whole passage down to verse 17. Paul said, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Amen. So verse 12 to 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if the spirit you put to death, the deeds of the body, you will live. So what does this mean? What does this mean to live according to the flesh? Here's a list of some of the works of the flesh based off Paul's letter to the Colossian church, Colossians 3, 5 to 9. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander and obscene talk from your mouth do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and jesus said in mark 7 verse 20 and he said what comes out of a person is what defiles him for from within out of the heart of man which is why i get so afraid when people say hear my heart from the heart of man come evil thoughts sexual morality theft Murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. So are we, as followers of Christ, are we exalting the very thing that our best friend, that our Savior, our Shepherd, and our Lord died for? Are we exalting sin with the way that we live our lives? Why would we throw hot coals on ourselves and expect not to get burned? You kill your witness when you go out living in complete willful sin. And I know it's not easy. Romans 3.23 is clear. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, myself included. Why? Why is this the case? Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man. Sin nature. So at the root of all sin is pride. Pride and unbelief. We want to do what we want to do, even if it's contrary to God's word. We want to, naturally we are, we want to be self-serving. You look at a picture on social media or a picture that someone took of you and maybe a group of people or whatever. Who's the first person you look for? You always look for yourself. Something bad happens in the world or your community and you think, what is going to happen to who? What is going to happen to me? You go to a buffet 
And then you see two older men fighting like they're in a Roman Colosseum back and forth with tongs over the last piece of fried chicken. The easy route is to always live for self because it's natural. Self-preservation doesn't need to be taught. You see toddlers, what are some of the main words that they say? No or mine. 2020, it was really frustrating that during COVID, everyone was buying all the toilet paper and just taking it away. So that was maybe more of a lighthearted example of, of selfishness. But what about the ruthlessness and the greed that you see in corporations, that you see in jobs where people will flat out lie and put down others so that they can get the promotion no matter the cost. They'll do anything. So we talked about the selfishness there of greed, but what about the selfishness of abortion? Kill the child because I do not want to deal with the consequences of my actions. This is my life, my body, my choice. But I want to tell you that that is not your body. That is your child's body. And even your own body is not your own body. That is God's temple. God created you and formed you in your mother's womb. And yet you're going to defile what he created? Greed. Abortion. Sexual immorality. You hunger and thirst for sexual pleasure more than you desire food itself. Just one more image. Just one more click. Just one more shot of dopamine pleasure. Just one more time I want to have premarital sex. 1 Corinthians 6.18 is clear. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Once again, sinning against the body that is not your own. Another example of this, drugs. Just one more high. I got to get that high that I had the first time I ever got high. I got to get that back. I got to get that feeling back. Just one more high. Even if it's at the expose of my health, even if it's at the expose of my job, even if it's at the, um, uh, at, at the expense of my children and my family and destroys everything, I just want the substance Once again, sinning against the body that is not even your own. It's all rooted in selfish, prideful, sinful nature. The flesh. We are naturally selfish. In verse 12 of our passage, it says we are no longer debtors to the flesh. I got a question Are you tired of living your life thinking that you have to prove something? Thinking that you have to be great, that you have to leave some sort of a a legacy and be great in the eyes of men and living for man's approval and thinking you have to make so much money in the pursuit of the American dream and life has to be all about yourself and you want to be recorded in the books of men? Which, might I add, has no eternal value at all. No eternal value. You want yourself to be worshipped in the books of men compared to being in the book of life. You know what happens if you, when you get to the judgment? And if you are not in Christ and your name's not in the book of life, who are you? The most scary thing I can think of is Jesus saying, who are you? Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. I never knew you. Examine yourself carefully. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Eternity is so much more to this life. It's so much more compared to this little vapor we live in. I've seen many, many people. One day they're there and then the next day they're not. You do not know when your time is up. 
Many people will put this off. I'll believe in Christ in a week. I'll believe in Christ in two weeks. I just want to do what I want to do. I want to live it up. I want to live. I want to party. I want to do what I want to do in college or whatever that may be. I don't want to live for Christ. How arrogant. You do not know when the end comes. And if you're not in Christ and he didn't save you and you haven't trusted in him, someone's going to pay that sin debt. Either he paid it for you and you were in him or you will have to pay for them yourself. Eternity is so much more than the life that we live in. We owe nothing to our flesh. Let's look at verse 13 again. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So this means that in your life, you have to get the scale uh and you have to obey. And the good that you do, if it outweighs the bad, then you might have a chance. You got to be stoic. You got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you save yourself, right? Life is all about us saving ourselves, right? Just do more. Just do more good. Just do more good. Be obedient. Do more good. Follow these rules. Wrong. We as followers of Christ still struggle against our flesh. Go read Romans 7. And we have moments when we do fall into sin. We don't dive. We don't excuse it. But we do fall into sin. Myself included. But what is the difference then between a regenerated Christian and an unregenerate? J. Vernon McGee said, the lost man, he goes out at night and he paints the town red. And after he paints the town red and he gets in trouble for it, he says, you know, next time I'm going to get a bigger brush and a bigger bucket of paint. I want to live it up. But the child of God, the regenerated Christian, will instead cry out, I hate my sin. I hate myself. My wicked, sinful flesh. I hate my old nature. God, save me from it. For the legalist, for the self-righteous who thinks you can earn your way into the kingdom by your works, I want to remind you as well of Jesus' words. Now, am I saying that, that true faith produces faithfulness? Yes, it does. True faith does lead to a transformation, and there will be fruit, and there is a desire to obey. But it's not perfection, it's direction. For the legalists, I want to remind you, in Luke 18, there was a tax collector and a Pharisee, and the Pharisee was sitting there praying, and he was saying, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this tax collector, that I'm not like this vile, nasty sinner. And just to give you a little context, why he would say that about a tax collector is because tax collectors were looked at as no good, greedy thieves and liars. The Pharisee, he, he went on and he and same with the legalists will go on to tell you just how much that he's done for God. God needs me in the kingdom because of how much good that I've done. A kingdom would not be the kingdom if I wasn't there. Which I remind you, once again, the most arrogant people you'll ever meet are those who claim to be so very humble. I talked to John Wilson this week, and I just love his joke about uh, how he wrote an award-winning book on becoming the most humble man alive. Uh, I I always think those jokes are just hilarious. Um, But McGee, he goes on to say, um, we can really destroy ourselves with this mentality that I'm about to share. We have to stop believing in ourselves. We have to stop believing in ourselves and being discouraged and disappointed in ourselves, thinking that I got to do better. I got to do better. I can change myself. We must see ourselves in Christ only. Only the Spirit of God transforms and sanctifies us. No good thing comes from the flesh, but the Spirit of God can enable you through the new nature to live for God. The lack of divine blessing comes from unbelief, not a failure of devotion. 
McGee goes on to say, I get so sick and tired of the super duper pious, dedicated, self-serving, self-exalting Christian. The lack of sanctification and divine blessing is a lack of belief, not a lack of devotion. Real devotion is a blessing from God. We have nothing to offer him. Anything that we have that is good is because of his marvelous grace. We are led by the spirit of God to put to death the deeds of the body. Look at Romans 8 verse 11. Romans 8 11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This ties in with Romans 6 12, which says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So, what is the work of the Holy Spirit then? The Holy Spirit is God, co equal, co eternal with God the Son and God the Father. A lot of times we can refer to the Holy Spirit as it compared to he. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. Who's the truth? Jesus is the truth. And Jesus, when he prayed for us in his great high priestly prayer, he said, guide them into all truth. Your word is truth. You know how else that Jesus fought temptation? He quoted scripture. All scripture is God breathed. All of it. All of it. And the scripture, God's word, is truth. And he, the Holy Spirit, brings conviction of sin. He also brings to us saving faith. He works in us um, sanctification. He grows us in holiness. And one day the Holy Spirit will raise us from the dead to enjoy everlasting life. Due to Adam... All men die. The wages of sin is death. Each day, if you haven't noticed, you grow older. Every day. New gray hairs appear. Your eyes get more baggy. You can be like me and you don't see as well or hear as well. Each day we grow older because we are perishing. We are perishing. We are dying. We're not immortal. What is amazing is that in eternity... We're not just going to be some little cloud, mystical, flying around, floaty thing. Okay? We're not just going to be a soul. But the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, who raised Christ from the dead, will raise your mortal body. You will get a a glorified body that will be resurrected. And that body will be without sin. Don't you long for that? To be free of your flesh? To no longer desire sin whatsoever. And the good news too is that we will recognize each other in eternity. Alistair Begg said in eternity, I'm still going to be Alistair Begg. So in eternity, you're still going to be who you are. We will recognize each other. Begg also stated that the promise of God is that we are going to be better than we were at our best. Ray Ortland said... Everything that this sad life steals from us, God will restore. There is not one ounce of you that will end up in the trash of the universe, except your sins that you were leaving behind anyway. Your sins will be completely removed, and they will have been imputed and absorbed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he in turn gives to you his righteousness so that you can stand before God completely Made right, a.k.a. justified. So what is our obligation? We're going to talk about belief in just a little bit and a little bit about human responsibility. But now Romans 12, 1 to 2. Paul said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, 
what is good and acceptable and perfect. A mark of a pagan is defiance against death and judgment. You know, you can have a talk with an unbeliever. Maybe you have friends that are unbelievers. You talk about the Chiefs. You can talk about, you know, uh, sports or your hobbies, um, whatever that may be. You can just talk about anything, food, weather. But uh, you want to make them uncomfortable? Why don't you talk about death? Why don't you talk about death? Why don't you talk about eternity? And they'll say, oh, no, 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 no. The fool claims that there is no God. We're not going to talk about eternity. No, 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 no. They get so uncomfortable. Why would you get uncomfortable talking about something that you claim doesn't exist? I'm just saying. Why do people get so uncomfortable about death? It's the end. Judgment also is coming because the law of God's written on their heart. They will say things then if you talk to them, I love you, I care about you. We've all broken the law and you're on the path, the wide path that leads to destruction. I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to be saved. Yet then they will justify their sin and then they'll start to talk about hell and they'll, they'll butter it up. They'll say, oh man, well, if hell is where all my friends are at, then it's going to be a party. I'm looking forward to hell. That's where I want to be. That's where I want to be. That's not true about hell. You want to know what's true about hell? Here's a few verses in scripture that define hell. Revelation 21.8, Jesus said, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Matthew 13.50, Jesus described hell as a fiery furnace. A fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Mark 9.43, Jesus said hell is where the fire never goes out. In Matthew 25.46, Jesus describes hell as eternal punishment. It's also described... um, I forget where I read it recently, but it talks about how the maggot never dies. Lovely place, huh? Is that, that, that's where you want to go and party it up? Jesus, a lot of the times when he preached, he did talk about hell and judgment. This is uncomfortable truth, I know, but it's truth nonetheless. God is completely holy. He is holy, holy, holy. And I hope some of you may, I hope that you're not wondering, why is the punishment for sin so severe? It seems harsh for a God that is patient and kind and long-suffering. Why is it so brutal? R.C. Sproul, he responded to a question where they were asked, why was the punishment for Adam and Eve's sin so severe if God is patient, loving, and kind? And R.C. responded to that question by saying, (laughs) he said, this creature... From the dirt, reminder that we were created from the dirt and he breathed uh, the the breath of life into us. The woman was made from man's rib. I'm not going to keep going. But uh, this creature from the dirt defied the everlasting holy God. After the fact that God said, the day you eat of the forbidden fruit, you shall die. Yet people think that the God of the Old Testament is just a different God from the New and that he's just wrath, 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 anger, anger, anger. Yet Adam, if you didn't notice, when the fall happened, he could have died right then. He could have died. God could have said, all right, I'm done with this. Destroyed. I'm going to create something else. But Adam lived another day and another day and another day. And he was clothed in his nakedness by pure grace. And at the consequences of the curse... But the worst curse would come upon the serpent who seduced them as the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Yet the punishment is too severe. The real question is, why wasn't it more severe? We don't we do not understand who God is and who we are. We do not understand who God is and who we are. The Christian should never, ever, ever have a sense of entitlement or pride thinking that you know how much that I've done for God. Hmm? 
You know how much treasures I'm going to have when we get to the kingdom and how much I'm going to be exalted, etc. And you talk about how much that God needs me. No, you need God. The flesh leads to death. Let's look at our next verse, uh, Romans eight fourteen. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So who are the sons of God? John 1, 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Amen. If you have been born again, which is a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit that brings you from death to life, from unbelief to belief, then rest assured of your salvation, that, that you are secured in the hand of our Lord and Savior and his sacrificial work. Quit doubting him. Quit doubting him. Bible reference commentary stated that the spirit leads Christians in a specific direction away from their sinful choices. Reminder again, direction, not perfection, progress, not perfection. We are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, revealed through the scriptures alone for the glory of God alone. Then. The Holy Spirit also, by God's grace, begins to set a new course for your life, a new direction. You go from election, justification, now you're in sanctification until one day glorification. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit gives you the power to obey and to break strongholds. So why does God do this? Paul answers here, we are God's children All who become God's children through faith in Christ are led by the Holy Spirit. All who are led by God's Spirit are His children. Put negatively, we are not in God's family if His Spirit does not lead us. If you have not been born again, you are not saved. So what is the implication of this? Looking forward, Christians should expect to be directed and empowered by their loving Father away from sin Toward him. Looking back, we should trust that he is leading and empowering us on the path that we have walked as his children. Now, look at verse 15 to 17. Verse 15 to 17. This is going to be kind of the main problem. We've been talking about unbelief and we've been talking about doubt. Verse 15 For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That's not a way to live. To constantly be thinking, Jesus' sacrifice isn't enough, I'm not saved. Jesus' sacrifice isn't enough, I'm not saved. To always be thinking that. Do you really believe what you claim to believe? Also, what do you believe? If you believe the gospel, it better be the biblical gospel. The narrow path is to salvation, not the wide road that leads to destruction. You must believe the good news that Christ bore your sins, that Christ fulfilled the law. You can't that he was crushed and pierced for our inequities. And by his wounds, we are healed. He was hung on that tree. Cursed is anyone who hangs on the tree. He bore the cup of wrath. And then he said, it is finished. He didn't say it's almost finished. He didn't say, I'm kind, it's, 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 it's almost been finished. He said, it is finished. And then he rose again. Trust in the biblical Christ. I want to share to you as well, um, based off this scripture, some commentary um, that was shared with me uh, just a little bit ago. Um, John MacArthur on this uh, particular verse, he said, when, when people are fearing sin and fearing this spirit of slavery, it's because of their life of sin. Unregenerate people are slaves to their fear of death. 
based off Hebrews 2, 14 to 15, and to their fear of final punishment based off 1 John 4, 18. The spirit of adoption not, is not a primarily a reference to the transaction um, by which God adopts us but to a spirit-produced awareness instead of the rich reality that God has made us his children, and therefore that we can come before him without fear or hesitation as our beloved father. It includes the confidence that we are truly sons of God, Abba, an informal Aramaic term for father that conveys a sense of intimacy. The English terms of, of daddy or papa It connotes tenderness, dependence in a relationship free of fear and anxiety, which we're going to talk more about Abba Father in just a second. But for some reason as well, when I was reading in the scriptures, uh, whether I was in John, um, because that's where the the youth where we've been in in our series and uh, Mark, which is where our uh, my small groups reading in and then. McKinsey and I, we've been in Genesis. Whether reading in John, Mark, or Genesis, I keep reading the phrase, um, do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And I had so many doubts about my faith, thinking, am I saved? Am, am I, have I been born again? Do I really have faith? And I know that many of you in here, I would assume, can relate Worrying that if you're saved or not, thinking that we aren't saved. But I want you to know God is the promise keeper. Why should we doubt he alone who is faithful and completely trustworthy? Why would I think that the God of all creation who laid the mountains in place, the stars in the sky are the work of his fingers and the earth is his footstool. Yet I doubt the saving power of the gospel. So you want to know, Colin Smith, he said, you want to know what the greatest sorrow, the greatest burden and unkindness that you can lay on the father? What sin is it? Is it some heinous sin? Is it, is it sexual morality or uh, stealing things or lying? or what, what, what is the greatest sorrow, burden and unkindness that you can lay on the father? It is to not believe that he loves you. To spit in the face of the cross and say, that's not enough. The father says to you, look at my love for you. I sent my son. I gave my son for you. I made him the sin offering. I passed your condemnation onto him. In the... In the courtroom, your judgment, your fine has been paid in full. What more are you looking for from me for you to believe that I love you? The son says, look, I came. I chose to come. My back was scourged for you. I went to the cross for you. I went to the grave for you and rose again for you. Yet you still, not, you still do not believe that I love you. The resurrection is God's stamp of approval on Jesus' sacrifice to pay for sin. The Holy Spirit says, The Holy Spirit says, I have wrapped myself around you and entered your life. You have grieved me many times with your sins and with your doubts. But what more do you want before you will believe that I love you? After all God has done, yet you still do not believe God loves you. Paul says that it's the special work of the Holy Spirit to communicate this to your heart. And you may be thinking, well, how do I get more of it? How do I get more of this confidence? As you believe the gospel. It is time to believe the gospel. You cannot live on, you know, once I said this prayer 35 years ago, once I believed 20 years ago. No, believe it today. Believe it today. It is now time to repent. It is time to repent that you do not believe God loves you. 
To say that I am sorry that after all you have done for me, Lord, that I have doubted your love for me. Thank you for your amazing grace for me in Christ. And because of your amazing grace, now I want my life to be a thank offering, to be a living sacrifice, to live as Christ and to die as gain. When I heard this, I was actually at, at the YMCA on a treadmill, and thankfully I was sweating because it hid my tears. Um, so after so much anguish, fear, and disappointment due to our sins, and we're still locked within our flesh, we need to remind ourselves of the beauty of the love of God. That beauty right there is what transforms your heart to then cry out instead of being so afraid, which we should have a respect and reverence and fear of God because he is holy, immortal, all-powerful, almighty, but also to realize his love for you, to cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word Jesus used in prayer, and he told the disciples to do the same thing Like I said earlier, it's a title used of intimacy. Charles Spurgeon, he said, Oh, the blessed state of heart to feel that now we are born into the family of God. So for those of you who may have a tough family life, why don't you rest assured that with your body of brothers and sisters, you have a family. You have um, the blessed uh, family of God and that the choice word that no slave might ever pronounce may now be pronounced by us. We can call God our Father. Abba. It's a child's word. Such as a little child utters when he first opens his mouth to speak. What better testimony can we have than that of these two witnesses? First, our own spirit and then of the Holy Spirit himself. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not universalism. That is the doctrine of the flesh. This is a fatherhood that relates only to those who are spiritual, who are born into it by the new birth and brought into it by an act of divine grace and adoption. How deep the father's love for us. I want to also encourage you to be careful, to be very careful uh, in saying words like, you know, God told me. God said to me. I want you to be very careful with that, because if if what you say does not line up with Scripture, you are putting words in God's mouth. I want to share just a small story. A lot of details left out, but there's a danger of subjective truth. I want you to think about the times in uh, recorded history where someone has said, I killed this person because God told me to. That's not God. Okay, that is not our God based off of the Holy Scriptures. Or someone said, God told me that I can be a jerk, which the person used more explicit language. And this was a family matter that happened for me where this one person who claimed to be a prophet abused it. And he also said that God could tell him to do whatever he wants. And it tore our family into it crushed my faith at the time. Because this was someone that I looked up to. And yet here he was treating my family, my own mother, in such a horrible way. That was not biblical. That did not represent Christ whatsoever. Yet he used God as an excuse to sin. If someone says God tells you it's not in line with the scriptures, you need to be discerning and weary of that. There was a song that I was singing in my head this week. You may know it. It's called Blessed Assurance. So for those of you that are doubting your salvation, sing this song this week. Think of the lyrics. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation. Purchase of God. Born of his spirit. Washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This song means a lot to me. There was a time in my life where there were some really bad trials going on. And I would remind myself, 
I would, this song would randomly come on Spotify. And I'd be sitting there weeping like a baby in my car, listening to this song and reminding myself of the blessed assurance that I have because of Christ. It's not my hold on him. It's his hold on me. Verse 17. We're getting ready to wrap. Verse 17. We're getting ready to wrap up here. Praise be to Jesus that we are his children. And we are heirs. So what is an heir? That question's ministry stated. An heir is a person legally entitled to the property or rank of another on that person's death. We will be glorified. Granted, we will also suffer with him, which I wish I had more time to talk about suffering. But we rejoice even though it is filled with tears. So what is our inheritance we get to look forward to? Hebrews 1-2 says, The Son has been appointed heir of all things. Being a co-heir with Christ means that we who have been adopted to sonship and are in the kingdom of God will share in the inheritance of Christ. He will give us his glory. John 17, 22, Jesus said, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. So that is the first thing that we get in our inheritance. We are a co-heir with Christ, and he gives us his glory. So number two, we're, we're getting ready to wrap up. I hope you, I hope you uh, remain tuned in. His riches, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And the next thing is all things. Hebrews 1, 2, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. We are as welcome in God's family as Jesus is. We are accepted in the beloved, based off Ephesians 1, 6. Galatians 4, 7, um, all that belongs to Christ will belong to the co-heirs. Galatians 4, 7, you are no longer a slave but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Think of all that means. Think of the inheritance to continue to let it help you to press on, to keep hope, to keep that light at the end of the tunnel, to be your why. Think of all that means. Everything that God owns belongs to us as well because we belong to him. We have eternal inheritance as co-heirs with Christ. Why? Because of the amazing grace of God in Christ. To close, I promise this is it. <laughs> Colin Smith said, many of us, we may have some theology. We may have some belief in God. We may have some outward obedience towards God. But where is the affection? If you just have head knowledge, what good is that? Where is the affection and the love towards God? In your walk, is there any gratitude? Is there any love? Is there any joy? If there's no love, you're going to feel defeated. You're going to feel dirty, rotten, beat down as a slave compared to being a forgiven, beloved, hopeful servant. Romans 5, 5 through 11. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would, even, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This week, the so what that I want to challenge you with is to remember who you are in Christ, to believe him, your responsibility, believe him. Believe him. And because you believe him, beg for the Holy Spirit to create a new obedience and to share the gospel with others. Trust in him for forgiveness of your sins and that he conquered death 
every single day, preach to yourself the gospel. Believe the gospel. Live for the gospel. Do not be discouraged or afraid or doubt, but trust in Christ. Today is the day to repent and believe the gospel. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we just come before you. We know that we are dead in our sins and that we still, in our flesh, we still continue to grieve you. But I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would pierce the hearts of maybe someone in here that's not an unbeliever to believe, to repent. And I pray right now, Father, that you would help us as your bride to live with eager expectation of the return of the groom. Help us, Father, to truly believe the gospel. And because we believe the gospel and we are saved due to the gospel, help us then to share the gospel with others. God, help our unbelief. Please help our unbelief and help us to be living sacrifices all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.